0: morning, everybody. Thank you, Kofi, for the introduction. Uh, it's a joy to be here. I was here, uh, the last time was quite a few years ago, and uh, today is exciting uh, when I was uh, worshipping to see all the young people up here, all young ones, no old ones. <laughs> and uh, I get to speak to uh, various churches, and I always get excited when I see on stage all the young people, not that I uh, have discounted or dismissed um, the older ones but I think it's always good to see young people up front leading a church uh, instead of uh, just see churches filled with people with uh, no hair or grey hair <laughs> uh, also very exciting just to listen to the announcements about your cap- the, the capping that you have done and uh, the mid-autumn festival uh, outreach and uh, also uh, I think it's very exciting to to watch a video on your outreach to um, the people from India. Is that it's Is that? Huh? Bangladesh, okay, yeah. Huh? And um, I was waiting, waiting because you're playing all sorts of games. are uh, all waste of time. And I was waiting. When? When? When is it coming? Finally, it came. Dancing. <laughs> uh, uh, they. There's there's something cultural. You no, know? I think if you have the. Uh, people from India, from Bangladesh, Pakistan. All you need to do is just play the music and everybody dance. Everybody, every world will dance. And you get intoxicated. You want to join in also. Uh, for me, I can do Indian dance a bit, but you you need to uh, bring a bush. Then I will just go outside. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> anyway... Uh, I was invited by Kok to speak on this topic. I've not spoken on this before. And uh, it's a very, very difficult uh, topic. And I I hope I've not misunderstood him. Uh, I thought he wanted me to comment on something that's happening uh, in Singapore uh, on this purported grace. But of course, I'm going to spend all my time here, next 40 minutes, uh, criticizing people. And then after that, have you all lived with a very negative uh, spirit and totally not edified. Uh, I just want to highlight some of the teachings that uh, has become a concern to many churches and not just in Singapore but uh, various parts of the world, UK, United States and the latest of course being China. All right. So I, I want you to hang in there and uh, just know that I'm not just spending the next 40 minutes uh, in a critical uh, spirit but Uh, something informative, but we want to come towards the last bit of the message that we can take home something about uh, our misunderstanding on what grace is. Okay? Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Lord, it's a joy uh, always to be in your house with your family and a joy to gather around uh, the table to partake of the bread and the wine, symbol of your love for us and the immensity of your grace for each one of us. And Father, as we um, now gather around your word to consider this very important uh, topic of grace, God's grace in our life, we pray that you speak to us and that uh, each one of us would leave this place uh, encouraged, reminded of your love for us, your grace for us, the compassion uh, the Father God has for each one of us. So we commit this time to you and we pray all these things to God, in Jesus' name, and everybody say, Amen. Good. Uh, so the title is Purported Grace, and I'm very uh, happy uh, that the projection people, they are helping me with the uh, PowerPoint. And I have uh, uh, taken Luke chapter 15, 11 and 32 as a passage that we'll look at, and it's very familiar. Uh, Parable of the Prodigal Son And I shan't read it now I'll move on to some comment uh, By way of introduction We'll come back to the passage later on On specific verses So let me just launch out With the introduction And firstly, I want to say something About present trends At least in Singapore Uh, Present trends in certain Rather doubtful church culture Uh, and these uh, cultures, they are these trends they are influencing churches and I don't think they are quite right and not very good. And we should take notice uh, because these trends may affect our members, certainly affected my members, and some of our members uh, are no longer worshipping with us. They've just left us. Uh, and I, I feel that... Um, people are then getting angry. A lot of my pastor friends are getting angry that they are losing a lot of members to the Grace Church. And uh, in fact, lately, there was so much pressure on the Love Singapore leadership that we have to do something about it uh, as the uh, sort of leaders in Singapore. So uh, finally, finally, we we got a team of us and we uh, set up a meeting And we had a meeting with uh, Pastor Joseph Prince. So I'll come back to that later on. But just briefly uh, to touch on some of the trends. The first trend, I'm just going to mention three, but the first trend is what we call the prosperity gospel trend. And the the prosperity gospel trend focuses and emphasizes on material blessings for believers. You you, You are supposed to be blessed. To a hilt. And adherence to this trend uh, express this church culture uh, with very rich and very flashy lifestyles. And so they embrace the worldly culture. And all in the name of the gospel, you know, it's it's not embracing worldliness for worldliness sake, but it's for the sake of the gospel. Now this trend has been around for some years, Uh, and has created its own sets of values, own set of culture in the church. And I summarized it that this trend leads to Christianity monetized. Everything is a money term. You monetize it. And the the trend leads its exponents to corporatize the church and then to make money and materialism unashamedly prominent in church life. Uh, So we see big churches... Uh, flowing uh, with uh, you know a multi million dollar budget, uh, and they are run like big corporation. Uh, you have very powerful, very charismatic leaders uh, very well paid, and they promote uh, luxurious lifestyle not just for themselves but for their members as well and uh, Jesus thought otherwise uh, Jesus said that money and God cannot be placed on the same. Uh, plane uh, for worship. And his teaching is very clear in Matthew 6, 24. And I shan't read it. I think uh, you all should know that we can uh, not serve two masters because we be loyal to one and despise the other. We cannot serve God and mammon. In fact, Paul taught us uh, Christian lifestyle should be characterized by simplicity uh, and contentment. And I have uh, up on the screen the reference in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 to 10, I won't read it either, uh, just for you to make a note, and I must move on so that I can finish what I want to finish. Now let me move on quickly to the second trend. And the second trend is the perfect group. Perfect. Now the perfect group teaches their followers that they belong to a very special group that can make no mistake. They can do no wrong. Now, advocates of this trend believe that they are always right, and of course, never wrong. They're very arrogant people, can be very inconsiderate. It's just unbelievable cases that I've uh, come across and brought to my attention, and I'm supposed to do something about. Uh, I think because of their behavior, being so inconsiderate, so arrogant, they do attract criticism from their brothers and sisters, from uh, other churches. But they believe that those people who criticize them, who complain against them, try to correct them, they are doing so out of envy, out of jealousy, and therefore they should be politely ignored, be ignored. Uh, They're very civil, uh, very courteous in their written reply to complaints against them, but Then in response by conduct, they continue to ignore all the complaints. Now, I think as a result, they become very insular as a church because they isolate themselves on the belief that other churches seem to be envious of them uh, all the time. Uh, They're absolutely independent. They do not account to any mature uh, third party. Now, this is how Christianity, how to summarize it. It is uh, Christianity par elitism you are the elite. You know, if, you are, if you belong to this church, you'll be told every Sunday until all the young people, everything, just believe they are, they are special in this church. We are the elitist. You know, elite. Uh, then, they, they are very conscious of and they take pride in belonging to a select and very favoured group. And they have also created their own culture, their own value system. But I think Paul taught us otherwise, isn't it? We are not to be conceited. We should be considerate to others and look out for the interests of others. And we read that in Philippians chapter 2, uh, 3 to 4. And I shan't read that, uh, just a reference for you to look at. But we move to the third trend. Uh, it is more popularly called today, they are, they're called hypergrace. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown wrote a book on this trend carrying the same title, uh, Hypergrace. Uh, I have also read a book by Dr. Colin Hertz. It's a smaller uh, book, but uh, very informative, uh, very thorough. And this book is called Pseudo, uh, Pseudo Grace. But uh, I have coined it my own way, but the meaning is the same. I call it the purported grace. And I call it purported grace because it is not grace at all, uh, but purported to be called grace. Uh, In fact, it is licensed. You can do what you like. And those who follow this trend say that there is no need to work at sanctification. And of course, as brethren, I mean, this is one uh, very key doctrine. Besides salvation, we talk about sanctification, our growing in holiness and Christ-likeness. And I shall say more about this. But I'm just in the introduction, just giving a broad sketch. Now, these three trends uh, are are actually infecting churches very rapidly, not just in Singapore, but it's spreading tremendously in Europe, in UK, the United States, and of course the latest is uh, China. Of course, uh, then the Chinese uh, household leaders came out and then they're very alarmed and they begin to talk to our uh, Singapore pastors and they say, hey, we we know that it starts from Singapore. Are you doing something (laughs) about it? Yeah. Good thing they don't praise us. Uh, The bad thing they hold us responsible. Uh, So they create Values and cultures are very attractive To many Christians I tell you why it's, it is so attractive It is attractive To be a Christian when you can Embrace materialism And Christ at the same time I think that's fantastic Embrace materialism and Christ It is also very attractive To be a Christian when you can feel The elitism of perfection Be humanly Infallible I'm not saying that I am God. I'm just saying I'm human, but I am infallible. That's great. It is attractive to be a Christian without having to work at sanctification. It is attractive that you can sin and not be condemned because your past, present, future sins have been forgiven. So, you know how attractive the trends are? I think that... uh, uh, the other churches like, no, some churches are very dull, very boring, like the brethren. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm a brethren, okay. That's why I'm losing members. <laughs> Don't come, my church. it's the same thing. <laughs> uh, but we, we won't be dealing with all 3 we're going to deal only with the purported grace. Let me say something about that, huh? introduction some more. Now, uh, about divine love expressed in the grace and in the compassion of God. Now, I've chosen the parable of the prodigal son uh, as the Bible text to launch our study on the doubtful church culture of purported grace. Now, I use the uh, the word culture. The, the word uh, the word I use culture to include doctrines, value, practice, language, uh, you know, a lifestyle, everything, all in. Uh, so the word culture is very broad. And the reason for using the parable is that the parable teaches very powerful truth on love, on compassion, and on the grace of God. Uh, they are very clear and definitive truth that would counteract against the doubtful teaching on purported grace. So if, you, if people uh, sort of uh, challenge you on this purported grace thing and ask you to, uh, then please state your ground, please state your case uh, you just said, well, I mean, I can't spend all day going through a think book with you. I go through a parable with you because the parable tells us exactly what this grace is from God. Uh, the parable has characters representing God the Father and the two broad camps of Christians. And two broad camps of Christians are the, the performance-oriented camp and the grace-overwhelmed Christians. So there, there are two camps there. Uh, of course, the two brothers representing parties that are in dispute and holding conflict, conflicting views over the gift of grace uh, the, that, that, that we see today, alright? So, uh, we shall, going to launch into just take a look at this and use it for us to have a clearer understanding. We're going to proceed uh, with the following roadmap. Just two points. I'm keeping watch on my time. Huh? Uh, just two broad points. The first one is that we're going to take a grace misconceived by the two brothers. And then the second point, I uh, will look at uh, grace is released by the loving father. And with that, we, we try to get a handle of this trend called hyper grace, pseudo grace and purported grace. Now I'm going to pause for a few seconds and ask you whether, uh, whether, are you with me? You are with me? Wave at me. Oh, okay. okay. I need a lot of affirmation. Huh? Okay. <laughs> Let's start with the first one. Uh, Grace misconceived by the two brothers in the parable. First thing I want to comment is about more uh, more law and less grace. In the parable, in verse 18 of the parable, the younger son said, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. No longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Uh, that's up to verse 19. We skip the rest. We come to 27. And, uh, he, and he, one of the servants, said to the older brother, Now, your younger brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your your, dad, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28, But the older brother was uh, very angry, would not go in, and therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Verse 29, and he answered and said to his father, Lord, these many years I've been serving you, never transgressed against your commandment at any time and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fat car for him. We stop there. We're going to use it to launch our a bit of a discussion or, or, or my reflection on this. Now, it is possible for Christians to have different views on the grace of God. Does it occur to you? I suppose in the past, we say, how could it be? Grace means grace, or how could we have different view?" But it's possible. Now, the youngest son believed that he would receive the grace of forgiveness from his father. But how? He, he, he believed that it's by repentance, by confession and by performance, these three things so uh, he did it, of course he carried, uh, after everything all gone sour, he carried with him and on the way back he carried with him a sense of guilt with him and he believed in now doing work that could earn back the father's partial acceptance Man, if my dad allowed me to stay on the farm, take me back Make me a higher hand. Oh, I'll be very glad, you know. Uh, He may not be prepared to accept me as a son, but man, as a servant, just partial acceptance is good enough for me. The status of son is deemed lost, and the best-case scenario is to be accepted as a worker. That was his understanding of the grace of the Father. I believe that most evangelical Christians... you might want to be part of it, You think, or you say, no, no. As far as PBH is concerned, we are out of this. All right? But uh, because we are just having 40 minutes, uh, I will take this broad category, evangelical uh, churches. Uh, I think evangelical Christians are very performance-oriented. And it differs from country to country. I think for Singapore, it's terrible. Singapore Christians... All right, so, I have the right, because I'm a Singaporean. Uh, if, yeah, I, mean, I know some of uh, our brothers and sisters here, uh, you, are, uh, you are here as an expatriate, so you're exempted from these allegations of mine. Okay, It's a home affair, Singapore. And uh, we're very performance-oriented. Uh, we are not position-conscious, uh, in that we are not conscious of our position as sons and daughters of God. I think evangelical Christians here work hard to make sure they gain the delight of God. I mean, God will be so happy if I work hard. And we have a very faint view of the grace of God because faint view is not that we do not know grace, we don't believe in grace, we don't know the Bible talk about grace, but it doesn't come to our mind all the time. What comes to our mind is always, I think we've got to serve God, right? And God will be so happy. The older brother, was obviously offended by what he misconceived of the grace extended by the Father to his younger brother. Now, he has his own idea of grace also. Uh, he believes that to remain in the acceptance and love of the Father, he should work faithfully, he should work obediently, he should work seriously. Right? He said, these many years I slog for you, and uh, you know, I didn't, uh, I've never disobeyed you. Man, I never even asked anything for celebration. I'm serious. I've been serious. And we see again the similar performance-oriented attitude. Uh, He was not conscious of his status as a son, but he was living like a servant. I think it's unthinkable for him to abuse the grace of God, his father, by asking for something as frivolous, as enjoyment, as celebration. I mean, what? This is church, you know, this eternity. This is, uh, we're dealing with life. You're asking for a party. He thinks God is a hard God. In keeping with this belief that God is a hard God, the older son is hard on himself. Consequently, he's hard on his fallen little brother. These are things, statements like that I make need a lot of reflection because, you know, uh, this one-way traffic and we're moving on. But if you go back and you think and look deep and honestly, yeah, uh, well, I think I'm like that, okay? Many evangelical Christians have similar convictions. They, they think of God as a holy and a hard disciplinarian. They are hard on themselves in their Christian life, very serious about all the religious requirements Rain or shine must come to PPH, all right, and come on time, even though it's heavy or heavy rain. <laughs> Serious. They tend to be judgmental, tend to be unforgiving of those who have fallen, especially when it involves certain types of sin. And uh I mean it, it, it comes out, it's very very complicated. You know, I'm i I'm a pastor, I'm a lawyer, so uh I don't want to simplify things. I mean oh, should we marry divorces? Should we do it in church? Should we, you know, forgive? But I mean, there are, there are many things, and then we are not so sure. Is it doctrine? Is it, will it displease God? I mean, where is grace? Where is compassion? So we know that it is not as simple as that. But if we want to look deeper, we really want to know uh, the, the type of inclination we have, whether we are the judgmental, unforgiving, or we are the compassionate kind. Uh, evangelical Christianity believe that they are teaching both law and grace when in fact they, they may be tilted more to law than to grace. Let me say that again. If you disagree, never mind, okay, because we are just doing a general study. Now, I believe that Evangelical Christian, uh, in, that includes my church, uh, we believe that we are teaching both law and grace. Actually, we may be tilted More to law than grace. And that's why in this subheading, this point I put down, more law, less grace. Evangelical Christianity in Singapore, whether charismatic or conservative, I think it's too performance-oriented in their walk with Christ and their uh, work for Christ. They're taught to work hard at their sanctification, work hard at world evangelization. And it has lots, uh, It has led to lots of Christians with badly stricken conscience or a burnt out spiritual condition. So these people, they leave evangelical churches for churches that are teaching grace, overwhelming grace, new grace, uh, and uh, well. So they are attracted to churches that teach them no law, or grace. And it's not surprising that many of them found the healing grace of God in churches teaching overwhelming grace. And that leads me on to my next point to talk about no law and all grace. My observation is that many evangelical churches are tilted towards more law, less grace. And now we move on to another tagline, no law but all grace. And this will be a good tag for churches trending in the purported grace. They teach no law but all grace. Purported grace followers believe that it is grace that sets them free. And the law of God is responsible for bringing them back to bondage. Therefore, they flee from the law. Uh, they would not want to be in the presence of anyone speaking on law. Uh, they would simply walk out, uh, And and this is one principal feature of the perforated grace culture. They give no room for the teaching of God's law. You know, uh, new creation church members tend to invite uh, friends from other churches to visit them. Uh, I don't know whether they have been uh, invited. So we we did the reverse. We got them to come and visit. So new creation people came to visit. Uh, that's my friend's church, and my friend didn't stand up to preach against them. It was just an ordinary message, and that Sunday they, he happened to be teaching on uh, that we uh, that we had close out with God and uh, be uh, uh, sensitive to our sin and confess our sin. Immediately they stood and they walked out. <laughs> they walked out, you know. They stood, walked out. These people from that that church, and this this aversion uh, for it. Uh, I have friends who are worshipping in a purported grace church who swear by the church for setting them free from bondage and sin. They are so liberated. And they came back, used to be in our church, they left, came back uh, to visit them because it was an occasion. All right? So, now, they would not allow me to use the word mother-in-law and father-in-law. Because uh, I was talking to that word, they Coffee. hey, how's your mother-in-law father-in-law? No, 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 no. Uh, there's no law. No, no, no. Uh, From now onward, we say, mother in grace and father in grace. Yeah. So I found them, (laughs) I found it in bondage to purported grace when real grace should have set them free. Uh, We laugh at them, they take it very, very seriously. They, they, it's like the, they used to be in the environment, don't know whether in PPH or in LSBC, they get so contaminated with law, legalism, etc. Then they went over, finally set free, and they're trying their best to stay away from the virus. So the moment they come, they're just waiting, and the moment they see the bacteria and virus, boom, they go out and they, it's self-preservation so you must understand them I, I understand them, I accept them you know, that why they behave like that they are so afraid of going back to bondage or what they think is bondage Pope grace trend has other features I will tell you about other features uh, besides the principal features okay, that I've just mentioned so the second feature is that uh, it, it teaches that Christianity it, it teaches Christianity minus sanctification basically and churches following this trend are creating their own culture, own value. But to them, uh, a believer cannot do anything wrong uh, and, uh, that would make him guilty. I mean, you, you can't do wrong that would make him guilty because the grace of God covers all sin. I mean, if God's grace covers sin, then how, how can you feel guilty? It, therefore, it means that there's no sanctification. Well, we all know that Paul taught otherwise. And we, we read that there are too many passages that we can read. Uh, for example, Second Thessalonians, uh, chapter 2 Thessalonians 2, 10-14, I put it up there. But you can, you can read all right, on, on that because today we are not talking about sanctification as a thing, about how people react to it. The third feature of this trend is that uh, God has already forgiven past, present, future sin of the believer. They really believe it is a feature. And in keeping with this teaching, the purported grace followers believe that there is no need to confess And I mean, uh, logical. If I've been forgiven all sin, how can I confess a sin that I've been forgiven? So, uh, there there is no teaching on confession of sin, repentance from sin. And of course, we know that it's required in Scripture. It's it's a very critical doctrinal point. Repentance and confession are necessary for sins to be forgiven. It follows in our teaching that any sin not repented of, confessed, is not forgiven. If our sins are not forgiven, we'll be excluded from the kingdom of God. So it affects eternal salvation. Fourth feature of purported grace is that it does not embrace servanthood, service, suffering. Uh, The reason for their aversion to this is that these values would send them back to bondage Of performance that grace has set them free. No, grace set me free, and then if I do all these things, it's gonna set me back again to bondage. So don't talk to me about service, suffering, servanthood. I think the cornerstone feature of purported grace is that that the insistence that there's only one meaning to the word or the virtue called grace, and it is unmerited favor, right? Everything's a merit favor. We don't have any merit God gives to us. We are just rely on it. When uh, they they um, they are told uh, no need for any effort uh, on their part, they're taught that if you put in any effort, whether it's service, whether it's uh, your own walk in sanctification, it's legalism. All right, so they they just uh, run away from legalism like plague or Zika. All right. uh, of course, this is incorrect. The other aspect of true grace is, for example, the, the whole teaching on grace effort. There's effort required. Uh, I mean, the grace that God gives that will enable us in our effort. It is uh, effort enabled by grace in the pursuit of spiritual excellence. Uh, they fail to understand that There are other exciting aspects of grace, such as uh, uh, the grace of strength in your uh, going through um, uh, the challenges and uh, uh, things like that. Nah? And, and the grace for your sanctification was sanctified by the grace of God. Grace for service where Paul said that I, I serve God you know, out of grace and His grace enable me. So these are the graces that they don't recognize. They only recognize one type of grace, unmerited favor, unmerited favor. So Christian life, when lived in fullness of grace, the various types of grace that I, I think your church, my church believe is a very thrilling experience. So, okay, at this juncture, what time must we close? I watch and then we guillotine it, right? Huh? Ten. Max, huh? Alright. I want to put in a caveat. Uh, I've read books representing opposing si- uh, side of this trend. Uh, I've read Michael Brown's book, Dr. Michael Brown on grace, and then Dr. Colin Hurt's book on pseudo-grace. Now, I have also read Pastor Joseph Prince's book, Destined to Rain. It was published more than 10 years ago. Uh, That book, of course, um, uh, gave a lot of flags, uh, yellow flag, red flag, orange flag. And uh, uh, I have also interacted with him together with Love Singapore committee leaders in April this year. We we set our meeting and uh, he came with his two pastoral staff and then we were a lot of them, and we spent three hours uh, on, on the various issues. Very interesting uh, discussion we had. And we discussed his theological stand on the various features of the doctrine of grace. And uh, after that, after the meeting was over, uh, hug here, hug there, hug me, I hug him, and things like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to take a selfie. Yeah. So Pastor Prince, Prince and I, we, we have corresponded. I wrote to him, he wrote to me, I wrote back to him, wrote to me And subsequently, uh, he sent me his uh, book, a sequel A sequel to Destined to Reign And the sequel is uh, Grace Revolution So I also ploughed through uh, that And uh, at at the April meeting with Pastor Prince He told us that he, he wrote very clearly that he believed in the doctrine on the law. He believed. Law has not been superseded. He, he believed in it. Uh, he believed in sanctification. He believed in confession, repentance. He say that. But he say that there are preachers in the world now jumping on the grace bandwagon all over the world and teaching all kinds of weird doctrine huh, on grace. Uh, and they are, in Pastor Prince's uh, view, wrong. And he has been unfairly lumped Together with them. Now he also said that some of his members may have re- misrepresented him on uh, in his teaching, including Mother in Grace and Father in Grace. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I am a Father in Grace. Yeah. And he said that he cannot control the false teachers. He also cannot control the errant members, and he asked that we judge him by what he wrote. Uh, I was, uh, well, because I wrote to him, I said that there are lots of things you say you, you you teach, but you didn't write in Destined to Rain, you know, very silent. And So he wrote that, uh, Pastor Lawrence, did you read my second book? I said that, no. He said, I, I wrote that uh, as a sequel. Because I suggested that, look, you put your position clear, write a sequel. He said, I have, you know. So what well, he sent to me free of charge, one book, huh? and uh, I, I read it, and it's, it's, it's true. He put so the but very, very clear, black and white, you know, on sanctification, on confession, repentance, uh, etc. So, I must say this, alright, because uh, one has got to be fair. I mean, we don't have to spend Sunday, uh, when Pastor Prince is not here, we take our pot shot and we laugh at him. And, um, and it's not edifying, la. I mean, we may have a lot of fun here, but it's not edifying. Uh, so, I, uh, I think that uh, it's true. Uh, members can just hear and misrepresent. I mean, uh, some people from your church would listen to Pastor Cockfine and just go and misrepresent him, say, My pastor said this, my pastor said that. And uh, members who, from my church will say the same thing. It's really beyond our control. Huh? Uh, so it's possible. Uh, so today I'm not passing judgment on Pastor Joseph Prince. I, I accept what he had written and said by clarification. So I'm speaking about a trend created by others that has features that I mentioned. All those features I mentioned, th- those are real things, right? They are a great concern. Pastors have just come and tell us in a committee, hey, you're going to do something. It's affecting so many people. And, and many Christians are flowing with this trend. But uh, what is our take-home today? Should we just spend time criticizing others and bring home a critical spirit? I mean, surely not. I think we've spent time talking about purported grace. I suggest we take home true grace that the Father has released to us. And that brings me to the second point. And we want to read uh, a few verses there. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the the key thing to, to draw is actually the father saw him, from When it was away, way off, uh, had compassion, ran, and kissed him. Uh, verse 27, and the father said to the servant to, to bring out the, the, the best robe and, and so forth. And uh, uh, also verse 31, and the father said to the older son, Son, you are always with me, and all I have is yours. All the statements, all the behavior, where he was, etc., is a picture, is a parable of the grace of the father our Father, and was grace released not just in a parable to the son, younger son, but the older son and to all of us. The first one I want to make is this. It's about love and compassion of God not clearly taught. That's the first thing I want to say. Now, why are so many Christians accepting the new teaching on purported grace when it is quite clearly a distortion of the grace that the New Testament teaches I think there are a few reasons. First reason is that there could be lack of teaching on what true grace really means. Uh, Christians who left their churches probably used to attend churches where the topic of grace has, been, has not been clearly taught. Nah? And as a result, these defecting believers have been endeavouring in the old church, endeavouring, trying to find salvation, find sanctification by works. Right? And they forgot all the, the enabling grace part, all right? Uh, for them, the emphasis on grace when they go to this uh, hyper-grace church is very liberating. It's really, really liberating. Okay? And uh, the, the, let's say if we, your church, my church, we are really putting people in bondage, the, the, the harder we put them in bondage, the greater would be the sense of liberation when they go, go there. You get what I mean? All right? So the, the backlash is, I mean, the church is growing. I mean, it's past 30,000 now. The second reason is that some believers uh, have actually been correctly taught uh, on the doctrine of grace, but then they come into contact with purported grace, they begin to be influenced into thinking that they have been wrongly taught. (laughs) Correctly taught, but now think, why? Uh, I think the analogy may be uh, helpful here. They, They begin to believe that they have been taught not true grace, but combination grace, combination of law and grace, uh, and it's something like some people go online to read medical dictionary, uh, and then when you read the all the online medical, you suddenly experience all the symptoms that you have. You know. Oh, oh, yo, yeah! I think I got cancer here. I got blah blah blah. Uh, Yeah, And and so they they go to this, and then you, they begin to um, experience things. But actually, it's not there. It's, it's called they're, they're healthy. Uh, therefore, uh, they believe that they should have nothing more. Uh, 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 the, actually, there's nothing wrong with the grace they've experienced. Huh? So I believe that the root problem from this Christian is their confusion between the experience of condemnation and the experience of conviction. You see, the law and the Holy Spirit convict Christian of sin, and the whole idea is so that we we'll turn to God for forgiveness. And how would forgiveness come to us? Is uh, it comes by grace of God, right? But this Christian believe that the law. Condemns. Actually, the law convicts, tells us what is wrong, what is right. But no, the the law condemns, and then when the law condemns, it nullifies the grace of God that sets them free from condemnation. Therefore, they believe that they should not have nothing more to do with the law, lest they lose the grace of God. So there's a confusion there. The third reason is that those believers who flock to purported grace may be drawn there because they are not prepared to make any effort to develop their Christian life and their Christian walk with God. I think that we're supposed to add to various virtues, the virtue of diligence also. I mean, God would expect us uh, to work out our salvation, which, of course, includes the the perfection of our whole being uh, until Christ comes. But they don't want to, and then well, I mean, this church, the, the doctrine is so good because, yeah, I, I, I don't want to work. Uh, at it, you see. So, purported grace teaching has persuaded them that all effort on the part of Christian discipleship, spiritual growth, are not necessary. Purported grace categorizes all effort as legalism and to be avoided. You mention to them words like discipline, effort, work, uh, integrity, and immediately they cry out, legalism, legalism. And we know, of course, that um, these are these are being taught in the New Testament and it is not legalism at all. I think the fourth reason is that uh, we should examine more closely today is that believers are drawn to purported grace because they do not see the release of grace by church on people who fail and fall. That means... They see grace in the other church, but they don't see grace in our church being worked out by us, uh, members and leaders. Uh, They they find their churches filled with Christians like the older brother in the parable. They find believers and church leaders that are critical, judgmental. They find the evangelical churches only driven by work, driven by all kinds of demands, but showing no compassion. They find sermons preached at evangelical churches harping on things that weigh them down. They say sermons of evangelical churches hound them every Sunday to give more, give more, do more, do more, pray more, pray more. They claim that all the pulpit messages keep showing showing them how far short they are in terms of their spirituality, how far short they have fallen in holiness, how far short they have fallen in devotion. And they say, oh, I don't have this. And that move. let's move on to the last point. You see, have we failed to represent the Father? Have we failed to also be channeled where the Father can release grace into the body? Uh, I think the emphasis concerning the grace of God that is spreading around the world is something I rejoice, first of all, because grace is such a vital topic in the New Testament and I want to confess, I, I, I've been attacked by a lot of pastors, okay? I was very sympathetic to the purported grace teaching when it first appeared in Singapore. And my love Singapore colleague always tekan me, you know. See, this, hey, when I walk in, say, the disciple of Joseph Prince is here. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they insult me, and you know? yeah, No grace, are there. Uh, That was 15 years ago when it literally burst into the church scene. It influenced me to some extent. It corrected my tilt. Uh, I was tilting too much in terms of emphasis towards work and effort. And the the burst of this uh, hyper-grace thing corrected the tilt and brought balance in my own life, teaching and conviction, etc., with grace and compassion. Since then, I've been more conscious about the grace of God in my life and in the life of my church. Grace began to influence all my messages and it has set many members free through grace, right? So, for the avoidance of doubt, I, I, I don't want to, after service over, when I go down, everybody avoid me. Eh? Be, ah. For the avoidance of doubt, I hereby declare, that I'm not an adherent to the purported grace teaching. I am a Boy Scout. I believe (laughs) in confession, repentance, sanctification, sufferings, service, discipleship, devotion, and discipline. But what has changed for me is a starting point. It's a starting point. Listen carefully, it's a starting point. In the past, Everything started with me working at them so that I can find myself in the delight of God. The sequence is it starts with me and then it leads to God. The problem with this sequence is that the me uh, was at that time and the me now today is always inconsistent and imperfect or not always perfect. Human one, huh? I do fail, I falter, and uh, and from time to time, I really stumble. So I have to battle accusation of the enemy, guilt, condemnation, uh, uh, to to get back on track. I have to work at it. So a, a lot of Christian evangelical churches would would have this, and they always come to the point that oh, I gave up, I cannot. I know what I want to do, I don't do. What I should not do, I do it. Oh, woe is me, but I, I stop trying. But nowadays, I change the sequence. It's the other way around. Uh, it starts with the love of God expressed by His grace and compassion. This causes me to know that God loves me dearly. Then it leads me to live Christian life as a response uh, to that love. I think the same human fallibility is still present, but getting back on track, staying on track, is much easier by the grace of God. Uh, I can shut up the condemnation of the devil, lean in on the compassion of God. Uh, It has a tremendous freeing effect from the bondage created by the devil. I think our churches need to emphasize more on the true grace of God in our teaching and our conduct. And the key elements of our emphasis of grace should be as follows, using the parable as a teaching guide. God the Father loves us deeply. Whatever state we may be in, including this morning, I don't care what state you're in, okay? Uh, it may be you come to church and you have fallen on a particular thing for the nth time, seven times, 70 times, times seven times. I don't care. The parable tells us the unfailing love of God the Father. And the younger son had dishonoured the father, abandoned the father, lived in sin, wasted his life. But the starting point is still with the father. The father still loved the younger son before, the word is before, he loved the younger son before the son got out of the depth of sin and depravity. The son was actually in the sin depravity, but the father loved him. That's before he got out. There was no need for the son to be cleaned up transformed before the father loved him again. Because the father was waiting for the son to return. He loved the son before, all right, again, before any sign of repentance. You say, well, but he came back, that's repent. No, 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 no. Before he could even appear on the radar screen, the father was already looking forward to it already. So, he loved the son before sign of repentance. Thirdly, the father received, the father accepted, the returning son before before huh? before the younger son could confess, he was not even uh, and then he was uh, not very clean up okay he wasn't clean up, then he just accepted him no confession, no chance to confess all right uh, the father restored the dignity of the younger son before the younger son could work at earning back the father's love okay uh he wanted to make restitution. He wanted to work at proving his contrition. He wanted to inflict some kind of punishment and discipline, all on himself. In short, the younger son could not do anything to make restoration happen because it happened before he could do anything. The before thing. The father initiated ce- celebration before knowing, uh, before hearing of confession, repentance, pronouncement, or penalty could take place the father was obviously overwhelmed with joy whilst the son was in genuine grief. Right? You just take, uh, go back and look at the parable, make a meditation. Uh, I said earlier, the past sequence uh, was, was different. It started with me and then led to God. Grace teaches that it should start with God and then it would lead me nearer to him. Question, is this theology behind this sequencing correct or not correct? Is the theology correct or not? I mean, you all got to think through, okay? Listen to what Apostle John said in 1 John 4, 19. 1 John 4, 19. We love him. Is it the first? Because he first loved us. So that before you love God, right? before you could love God, God loved you. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. You know, while we are yet still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5 and verse 8. I think there are enough theological uh, pillars there to ground this whole thing about God always take an initiative, in this sequence, we've got to start with God first. You want sanctification, start with God first. You want um, to, to, to grow in the image of Christ, start with God first. You, want every, you start with God first. It's about God, it's not about you. And that you can come as you are and just begin to appreciate uh, how much He loves you, and so my conclusion, quickly, I've got two minutes. Let me conclude. all right. Uh, verse 20. And he arose, came to his father, but when he was afar off, uh, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So I think this morning we should come before God the Father, tell him how much we appreciate His love for us. That's all God wants us to tell him. I mean, do you appreciate His love for us? Thank Him for grace and compassion extended because the expression of that love is the release of grace and compassion. And we can come in whatever state we're in and know that He would still love us and then restore us. And everything starts with His love for us. Make it possible for us now to respond by coming back and loving Him again. And the rest of the things that we want to do like confession, repentance, sanctification, devotion, so forth, will follow quite naturally with the help of the Holy Spirit. I think it is uh, uh, instead of me first and then get stuck in condemnation and never got everything done, it's God first, uh, compassion and love that's so freeing and you got so overwhelmed by love, you begin to get cleaned up, you begin to turn away from old ways, etc., and to love God. And this, I believe, is true grace for all of us. Let's pray. It's 10.40, but can I just invite you, uh, since we're not going to do a long closing, just take take one minute and respond to altar call. Not to come forward, but where you are, so that everybody can go to the altar. Where you're seated, when you bow your head, close your eyes, you say, God, I'm creating an altar that can come. And then, you have a transaction with God. Maybe you are very doubtful about what you heard, and say, God, speak to me. I mean, is it right? Is it wrong? And let God speak to you. There might be something that, in a message, that struck you along the way, no time for you to sort of transact. Well, now is the time. Would you speak to God about it? And, and finally, I think for most of us, is to just come to God and say, God, I really appreciate your love for me. and I, I, I want to get the sequencing reverse so that everything about my life, my giving, my prayer, my service, my growth, my devotion, everything, can I start with you and your love for me? Would you like to do that? Could so take just a minute and then I will close. Okay? join our hearts in prayer together. Father, we thank you for your your love for us and thank you for powerful reminders. Just now when we partook of Holy Communion, it's always a highlight, isn't it? Every Sunday when we come just to be reminded of the body broken for us, blood shed for the remission of our sin and it's just not talk only but love in action, love divine love so excelling and then translated every day for us in the grace extended to us that we cannot earn work for yet something that will enable us to uh, obey you in playing our part in growing in likeness of Christ and Lord we come again all of us in confession of our failings and sin, knowing so well that we never need to uh, yield to a condemning spirit but we can always come to the Father who is more willing than we can think of to forgive, to cleanse, and then to give us a fresh, new start. And we receive that today, O oh God. And Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here that it will be a great week ahead, a new start for everyone, just to experience in a new and a fresh way your grace the immensity of your grace the depth of your love for us and we thank you and now dismiss us Father with uh, your blessing the blessing of uh, Father God the blessing of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power the anointing, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit let this blessing be upon us this day, abide with us this week and forevermore and let all God's people say Amen thank you very much